0: They called him the Hammer. That was his nickname. He used to, you know, he used to put a lot of seats, people in the seats apparently, because as soon as they dropped the puck he'd just grab somebody and start feeding them, you know. And he was drunk on the ice a lot is the stories I hear. You know, he'd put a 40 down before the game. They'd go out, drop the puck and he'd just go toe to toe with somebody. And apparently he wasn't a very good fighter. He Got beat a lot, but the crowd used to love it. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey I
1: idolized Dominic Kaschuk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaschuk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years,
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 24 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I am your host, Johnny Cullen, joined alongside, as always, by Dwayne Stanel. Dwayne, how you doing, brother?
1: Dude, I am doing great, guys. Um, I'm on vacation this week, so I've been getting a lot of golf in. Actually got on the ice for the first time two, day, two mornings in a row. Um, you know, my legs felt like cinder blocks. Uh, it was rough. Um, had a, had a friend of the show, Kenny Augustino, uh, absolutely brutalized me in that during our buddy Anthony days clinics over there at the leisure ranks. But other than that, man, I'm doing great. You know, it's been a, it's been a good couple of days starting from my vacation.
2: So not only have you had a good week, we have hockey back. It is a beautiful time of year, a little bit later than usual. I can't wait. I know all you listeners are juiced up for the NHL to come back, but even more important, we are joined by... A very special guest today, uh, somebody I grew up idolizing and watching. I know you did too, Dwayne. NHL 18-year veteran, uh, current scout with the Montreal Canadiens, Le Habitant, and an all-around great guy, unbelievable puck stopper that had some unreal style. We are pleased to be joined by Sean Burke. Sean, thanks again for being here, man. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thank you.
2: So Dwayne, I know this is uh, this is one of the bucket list names that we had when we first got this show going. Um, somebody that we both grew up watching, uh, you know, a well-traveled player that that played through the era that we often talk about as the evolution of modern day goaltending. Uh, so really excited for this one, and, and I know you you are too, Dwayne.
1: Absolutely, man. I like I like we said talked about before the show. I love to talk about goalies who kind of lived through the transition of different styles of the position uh, especially when it came to the equipment you know how more advanced the equipment's become now since then so this is definitely uh, and I used to have his jersey I watched him growing up just like you did Uh, you know he's been part of a lot of cool teams over the years so I'm definitely excited to talk to this guy.
2: So, Sean, I, I, you know, in talking before the show, um, like Dwayne mentioned, you not only played for you know a few different teams, but some awesome gear wear. You had some great style. It's something we talk about a lot on this show. I was a big fan of your setup in Hartford, and then even later on in Phoenix. But before we get to that. I wanted to talk about a little bit, uh, you know, how you got to, to the show, how you how you ended up there. And I like to do this with all of our guests. But um, so give us a little bit of background. It says here you're born in Windsor. Windsor holds a near and dear spot to my heart. I, I got to play my junior hockey there in an incredible city. But uh, you then grew up in Toronto. Can you tell me a little bit about your minor hockey years and how you ended up in the GTHL?
0: Yeah. I was, uh, I was born in Windsor. My dad at the time was working at the Windsor Raceway and um, he ended up getting transferred uh, two months uh, after I was born. So we moved up to Toronto and I, uh, I grew up there downtown, basically Dufferin and Bloor area, which, um, you know, in those days was a little bit rough. But uh, for a kid that loved hockey, it, it, it was a great place. There's outdoor rinks everywhere. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of schoolyard hockey, ball hockey, as we called it. And, um, and when I started playing organized hockey, I, I really didn't play very high level of hockey at first. I played house league. I played, uh, as it was in those days, B hockey. So you had B, then you had A, AA, and, uh, and, and you know, AAA and all the, the higher levels. But I started out really at a fairly low level. Again, Toronto was such a big hockey seed that it was still really competitive, even at those levels. And, uh, yeah, I progressed through uh, the Toronto minor hockey system.
2: That's awesome. Uh, And like you said, it's the hockey mecca of the world. And, uh, you know, me and Dwayne being, you know, here in Buffalo, Dwayne, you remember all of the the best tournaments were there, right? Like, that for us Mm -hmm. was the real, like – Proving grounds, I I guess, to say, let me ask you this really quick, Sean. Do you remember playing against American teams? Because we always, our coaches always used to tell us, um, like, when we went out there, these Canadians, they give us no respect. They think you suck. And, you know, I can see where they're coming from because oftentimes we got dusted. Um, I remember the Toronto Marlies, Toronto Red Wings, Mississauga, the Raps, the Rebels, they would just put a hurting on us. Um, Do you remember playing against American teams? And was there that kind of, you know, that feeling of superiority?
0: Well, I, I don't because I didn't really play um, a very high level of hockey till I got around uh, minor midget. And, um, you know, I came through, as I said, house league. I ended up in the Toronto Red Wing organization for a year. And then I went to St. Mike's. I played um, – The
2: played buzzers.
0: High, well, yeah, I played St. Mike's minor midget, and then I jumped into junior B. I ended up going to St. Mike's High School as well uh, for four years. Excuse me. But I – I really never played in a lot of tournaments other than local tournaments. And, you know, the Quebec Pee Wee tournament obviously was a huge thrill in, in Pee Wee hockey. But there wasn't a lot of American League teams coming up and playing against our teams at that time. And so hockey for me was, uh, was pretty focused on, on Canada and especially the Toronto area.
2: So but I know Dwayne's chomping at the bit to get to the, the NHL stuff, but Dwayne, we've had now, I think this is three or four Quebec guys, Quebec Wee guys. Yep, can, you, yep. can you tell us a little bit about that, uh, Sean, because I'm fascinated by that. It's a tournament that I missed out on, um, but, you know, you'd be surprised. Like a lot of the – it's really cool if you go to their website and, and look at all the current NHLers. I know me and Dwayne did a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's amazing to see the amount of NHL alumni on there. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and uh, what that was like?
0: Yeah, I think what I remember is um, obviously you know you get billeted out, so that's always cool. You you know you're you're going to a a new place. You're living with a family for a couple of weeks. Were you living
2: with a French family?
0: Yeah, I was living with a French family, and that's so um, cool. Yeah, it was a great experience that way. But you know you remember signing autographs. You're you're a, you're a young kid, and people want your autograph and that's so surreal when you're that age, you don't even really understand what that's all about. But you do understand that this tournament is pretty special when you're there. And, you know, again, I think looking back, um, like you guys do, I've appreciated it many, many years later, at the time, you're just so caught up in, you know, you're, you're, you're playing uh, playing games, you're playing a number of games a day. And uh, you know, you're trying to do well, but, uh, but the excitement around and just uh, obviously Quebec city is a beautiful city,
2: it's gorgeous.
0: And, uh, and that time of year, there's so much going on that it's, it's almost overwhelming to a young guy. For you sure. see, that would be,
1: that would be absolutely wild to me being like a, like a, a young kid that age and just have some random stranger like, come up and ask you for your autograph. It's like, that's like so, so surreal. Like, I, I, like. Obviously, like I, I tell Cully, I've never, I've never made it to that level of hockey where I, you know, I could experience stuff like that. I would, I think that's the one thing I w- I wish I would have had the opportunity to experience, is maybe going to live with a Billet family, things like that. Just being able to play outside of New York, um, that's the one thing I wish if I could go back. Outside of obviously making it big, like you know, you did, and to a certain extent, uh, Cully did, is that I wish I could have experienced all the different life experiences of age playing outside of New York or even the United States and being able to, you know, go live with a billet family, you know, see what it's like to experience a different culture or something like that. Like that would have been so cool. And, you know, that, that, that's probably the one experience I wish I could have had growing up for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, well, in general, it's one of the great things about playing sports, especially as a youngster is is all the other things you learn. And obviously the, the, the obvious stuff of being on a team and, and learning how to work hard and and you know have a role and all those things but yeah as you're when you're a kid it's uh it's a lot of fun you know you're in hotels the odd time in tournaments you're playing uh you know mini stick hockey in the hallways and just yeah that whole, just that whole tournament atmosphere is uh, is pretty special but um again for me i i was one of those kids and i think it's um you know it's it's a good lesson for for a lot of young players out there that it doesn't mean you don't have an opportunity to, to develop if you're not playing at the highest levels when you're really young. In those days, you know, like it is now, it was very expensive. And my family didn't have the money to pay for travel hockey when I was young. We weren't, we weren't in that position. So I was lucky to be in a city like Toronto that had very competitive hockey at every level. But I think that, um, you know, young kids now, especially with social media and internet, and they all, they all follow everything – it can be discouraging, I think, if you're young and you don't see yourself playing at the highest level. But that that doesn't that doesn't prevent you. Obviously, everybody gets to that where they reach their ceiling, and um, and you know that's that's just true for everybody at a certain point. But I, I'm a good example of a kid that played at a lot of the lower level hockey's for a lot of a lot of my minor hockey time.
2: You know, and you, it's you know, awesome to hear that. Sorry, Dwayne, give me one second. Like, I'm we talk about all the time, Dwayne, and part of the reason, Sean, that we love doing this is, is for the younger boys that listen, because in today's ultra-competitive, you know, play hockey for 12 months a year mindset, It couldn't be further from the truth that you need to be a good athlete. And a lot of kids feel defeated if they don't play AAA at a young age. Um, But, you know, it's amazing, Dwayne, how many guys have we had on that either had gotten cut from numerous teams at a young age or were never at, at the very top. And, and and that message, Sean, that you just sent is so important for the younger generation of goalies that, you know what, as long as your ceiling is, is undetermined at a young age, right? You never truly know it. And and, and for anybody that, that tries to tell you what it is at a young age, they don't know what they're talking about. Because even as, as a coach now, and we talked off the air about your son, you know, getting into that aspect, evaluating talent is such a difficult thing. And I always tell the young guys that I work with, one coach's opinion doesn't define what kind of player you are, no. right? You need to consistently get better and, 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 and reach your ceiling because it's so hard to determine that at a young age. So I, I appreciate you sharing that with us.
0: Well, and I think especially, you know, we're on the topic of, of goal. I mean, there's only two guys on each team. And, um, you know, it's very competitive. There's not a lot of positions, um, you know, not a lot of room. And you may be a kid that develops a little bit later. You you may be a kid that hasn't sort of found his, his um, athleticism still a little bit awkward at a younger age. And it can be discouraging, especially if you keep getting cut or you don't make the higher levels. But I think that, you know, first and foremost, you have to enjoy it. If it's something you really enjoy doing and you're passionate about it, competing is so important. I mean, you guys, you know, you're talking about watching me uh, – you know, as you were growing up. But, of course, you got to see Dominic castic play. And if there was ever a guy that was a perfect example of, of somebody that, you know, competed on every shot, his, his unorthodox style, the way he looked in the net. And I, I played against Dominic Castic You guys will find this interesting. You love I, it. I played against him long before he ever came to the NHL. You know, I played against him in Europe when I was – part of the national program before I ever played in the NHL. And I can remember, Really, I can remember looking down the other end and, and almost thinking about the fact that this guy looked like a street hockey goalie that <laughs> he had the worst equipment. He looked absolutely terrible out there yet, yet here he was, we couldn't score on him. And I never forgot that, 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 um, that this guy, you know, playing for Czechoslovakia in those days, it wasn't even the Czech Republic It was Czechoslovakia. Yep. Um, it, it stood out to me that uh, that you know he was so effective, and and obviously you know everybody got to see years later what he was all about. Um, but there was probably lots of people telling Dominic Hasek in those days, "You can't play that way. You can't play that style. That'll never work in the NHL." And yet, um, and yet, if, if he would have listened or been discouraged, we would have never seen uh, you know the type of dominance that he had for so many years. So. There's there's lots of good lessons like that out there. There's lots of examples, but first and foremost, you got to believe in yourself, and uh, you got to enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, you're not going to do very well.
1: I think that's honestly the greatest description I've ever gotten of Dominic Hasek. He was a street hockey goalie, and it's and like I, said, I've, I, actually, I, you know, I I I actually I know I coached uh, I coach for his foundation now actually. Um, and there's one thing one of the things I tell the kids that you know. Because you know, there no kid really comes into the program starting like as a goalie. They come in, you know, you know. Well, what do you want to play? Do you want to be a goalie? And then, you know, they work their way up through the years and the age groups and as a goaltender. And the one thing I always teach him is like, if there's one thing I'll teach you about his style of play, is the the only thing I want you to take from it is you never give up on a puck. Yeah. You never ever. He never ever Love gave that. up on a puck. He well, never they, gave up on a play.
0: No, and the interesting thing about about Hasik was. You know, I, I would go myself if we were playing Buffalo, you know, in, in the years he was with Buffalo, and of course it didn't change when he was with Ottawa or Detroit either. But especially in those years when he was so dominant, if we were playing Buffalo, I would purposely go and watch him practice. Or I would go, you know, in the in the morning skate and I would make sure I got there or stuck stuck around to watch him practice. And it, you know, it took me some time to understand that the greatest thing about his game was as out of control as it looked at times it was actually the opposite his eyes were never off the puck it didn't matter if he was rolling and flipping and doing those things he always had a way of the angle of getting his glove closer to the puck to take away the room or you know it's just little things that he did which were very instinctual dropping the stick all those kind of things Um, there was a method to the madness and yeah Yeah. and yeah
3: yeah.
1: We used to hear a
0: story. No, go ahead. on, John. No, and that's what I was just gonna say that anybody who has that sort of success in anything, whether it's sports or 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 anything along along the lines where you have a talent, um, it's hard to explain it to other people uh, because it's so instinctual and that's how he played the game. But by no means was he ever really out of control or uh, in my in my at least estimation. Um he he probably was a guy that spent a lot of time thinking about those kind of things and had a real game plan when he stepped on the ice. So consistent too.
1: We hear we used to hear stories uh, my, uh, that he would actually practice headbutting pucks in practice. You see him do it in games. He would do it in practice. He would practice like hitting like you know, hitting the puck out of the air with a stick, dropping a stick, hitting out of the air with his blocker. He, do, he would do this stuff in practice. And like all the flopping and stuff like that, that was all like that isn't just stuff that was so reactionary in his game. He practiced making saves like this, his anticipation, you know, anticipating the play. And you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, it worked for him. Remember, there was a there was one game it didn't work for him. It was, it was his return to Buffalo after being traded to Detroit. Uh, it was a two-on-one or a two-on-zero with uh, it was Chris Grattan who scored the goal. And Chris Grant had the puck on the on the on the left side, and he was waiting. He was looking. He was looking off 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 his. Uh, up at the winger and Hasek just dove right out stick first thinking oh, yeah. the pass was coming and Grattan slammed the puck and like okay and he's yeah. in the empty net. That was maybe like one of the very few times like like you said the method didn't work but I always felt like he was always and I don't want to make the comparison to Gretzky because it's like a different position because the one thing that we say about Gretzky is he was always two players ahead of everybody else. That's the way I like to think about Dom is like he would always be ahead of of everybody else in anticipating what was coming next. But, you know – That ability it, it, to
2: read plays, right? It's set yeah. apart. Sean, I, you know you, you spent so much time in the National League. It's, it's the difference between guys that spend their career in the American League versus the NHL isn't as much physical, right? It's that ability to, to read plays and, and, you know, diagnose what safe selection you're doing. Am I wrong there, or is that a big stepping stone of difference?
0: No, it's you're right. It's definitely – it's undervalued, um, I think, when people are watching goaltending, and some of it comes from just not understanding. I don't, I don't believe the position. I mean, it. I think every goaltender, a lot of guys uh, have done this. I think it's important for every goalie when they're young to to play forward, or at least to, you know, have some time where they go out and shoot on goalies and and play shinny and those kind of things, because that's where you get an understanding of what shooters are seeing. That's where you get an understanding of how plays do develop. And, you know, I was a perfect example of a kid that loved to play. I, I played ball hockey all day long, but I never played in goal. Yep. I never got in goal. I always liked to be a scorer. And, and, and so I had a real good understanding of the of the game. And when the game started at the NHL level, you know, the, the highest skill in the world, you can still read plays. You can still see things forming. But, but that takes, you know, not only uh, experience, it just takes a real understanding of what the game and the options are. And so the really good goaltenders, the top guys, Marty Brodeurs and guys like this, um, their biggest asset is their hockey sense. As much as they have skill and all the ability, hockey sense is a, is a huge factor for a goaltender. For sure,
2: for sure. Totally. I, I mean, you brought that up. Uh, Dwayne, before we get to, to the NHL, uh, you mentioned a little bit about playing in St. Mike's. Um, so I had a I had a quick yeah. question for you. Did you play in the St. Mike's arena? Uh, where the, the real small Crampton where the stands over the net was basically right on top of you?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I played in uh I in junior V, especially in those days. It was rough. There was a lot of uh a lot of scraps in junior B hockey. It was, it was, um, it was tough. There's uh, the, you know, your fans were right on top of you, but, but the games themselves got a little bit nasty and, yeah, and then I, I went right into junior and I played for Toronto. I played for the Marlies. So I got to play in Maple Leaf Gardens for a couple of years as, as a junior hockey player. And, and that was really, you know, for me as a kid growing up in Toronto, watching the Leafs, to then be able to play in Maple Leaf Gardens every game was, uh, was another huge thrill that, um, that I was very lucky to have the opportunity to do.
2: So, Sean, you'll get a kick out of this because, you know, your son played CIS, Canadian University. You know how they turned the, uh, the old Maple Leafs Garden. It's now Ryerson's home rink. Right. My last game, so during the lockout in 2012, I, I went to University of Western, you know, waiting to go back to Ontario Rain. And my last game, and I'll remember this forever because my dad got to come see me play, was in the old Naval Leafs Garden. And it's beautiful what they've done. And it's different, obviously, but you can still see parts of it. And what a treat that was because, Dwayne, me and you have watched so many games, you know, the old games there in that rink. And and, uh, it's it's fun what they did. And Ryerson had a good program. But I'll remember it forever that my dad got to see me beat Ryerson there. Really cool rink. But, hey, I have one question for you about your time in St. Mike's. So here's a quote from Dan McLean. This is way from the archives. Is he a family friend?
0: He, um, you're talking about Dave, the, the, he scouts for Montreal as well?
2: Well, I'll read the quote and you tell me if, if you remember it. So I remember when Sean was 14 and at St. Michael's, uh, the Toronto Nationals had the best junior band of team in all of Ontario. They came down and Sean just put on a show, stood on his head. They beat the Nats 4-1. You remember this?
0: I don't. I you it's know in I in a
2: sports illustrated article from your time with the Olympic team. I had to bring it out. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I know that's you know it's it's interesting for me minor hockey because I think the fact that I didn't play in one organization. I wasn't a kid that came up with the Toronto Red Wings for years or the, you know, um Young Nats or something like that that my memories are scattered of minor hockey. To me what I remember uh, most, uh, you know, was, was just the enjoyment I had of going to the ring. My dad, my dad was, was a huge influence on me. And, you know, we didn't have a car. So What's I mean took about I, that,
2: I, him selling the, the business and, and getting you that. That's incredible. Sorry. Keep going.
0: I, you know, I took, I took public transit to every game I ever played in minor hockey. So what I remember is standing on a lot of corners waiting for buses, waiting getting some for, strange looks. Yeah. Waiting for streetcars. I can remember, Many times in rush hour, getting on a public bus with that big goalie bag and trying to find a spot to put it down, bumping into everybody. Um, But looking back, you know, that really tested how much I enjoyed the game. And my dad was not, you know, he wasn't doing it in any way to sort of make me tough it was just the way it was. If we were going to go, if I was going to play hockey, that's the commitment it was going to take. And he was going to be right beside me, but he wasn't going to carry my hockey bag for me. And, uh, and that, and that was, that was a great upbringing as far as learning, learning it a little bit the hard way. I, um, I
2: just reading a little bit about your father. It's incredible. Um, just to, to hear some of it, there was a, there was a quote saying that, uh, you know, when you were walking, uh, to, you know out of your neighborhood that it helped uh, if you weren't a good fighter it helped to have a few uh, extra lunches so mm-hmm. but just reading about him he sounds like an amazing man um and, and you know what it, it's fun me and Dwayne have talked about it quite a bit too it, and to have that influence it obviously played a huge role and, and you having the career you did and it, it's just really heartwarming to hear that so i uh, thank you for sharing with that um i had one quick question. so transitioning you play that time you get to the Marlboros, right? Um, you're drafted in the second round, right? 24th overall, pretty high for a goalie. And as you transition, um, you didn't take the traditional route. You, can you tell us a little bit about your, your decision to, to go with the, uh, the Olympic team or how did that happen? So did you play world juniors and then join the Olympic team? Can you kind of walk us through what, what happened there?
0: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really, the decision was kind of made for me. I, I, you know, I was drafted by New Jersey and i had played world junior we played in hamilton we actually lost to the russians that year in the gold medal game so we ended up second
2: they were a wagon right they had
0: a real solid team oh yeah i mean in those days you know and if you think of my age group of guys um you know they had they had the um those rosters most of those guys came over at some point were good nhl players um you know, I played many, many times against the Fedosovs and the Laryanovs, Krutovs—all those guys—long, wow. long before those guys ever had an impact in the NHL. But, you know, for me, I was—I was really sent to the national team by the New Jersey Devils. They, they had drafted me. They knew I needed more time, and uh, very, very smart on, on their part to to have that option. And that was the best part about it was I got to develop, um, you know, in a league. Uh, for lack of a better term, because we didn't really play in a league, but we played constantly in tournaments all over the world in Europe, and, um, and we played against the best players in the world that weren't in the NHL. So as a 19-year-old, if you can imagine, guys are playing junior hockey. I was playing against all those guys who would eventually come over and be be top NHL players. So, Dwayne, we, we've
2: talked, uh, you know, with, with all of the guys we've interviewed, it, this is unique for me because, you, like you said, it's a unique path. And, you know, kudos to the Devils for recognizing that. Uh, but it's incredible because I don't think a lot of the, the younger kids today realize what the uh, the different rules for the Olympics were back then, right? And, and how you guys right. traveled
0: together for a whole year, right? Yeah, there was a national team. And, and you, had to, you had to have a national team if you were going to be competitive because – you were going to go to the Olympics and play the Russians. You were going to play the Czechs.
2: Who were together all year round, and they were wagons of te-
0: For years. Not only you, wagons. waggons; those guys were together for years. They lived together for most of the year. Um, they played in world championships. They won it every year. They played in Olympics. Uh, you know, if you were going to compete at all, you weren't going to be able to throw a team together at the last second, and you didn't have the ability to throw together like they do now. Uh, An NHL group That is is all the best NHL players So it it was a great experience And um, looking back You know not just hockey wise I got to travel to places Be in Russia in the 80s when it was communist That's Uh, wild Yeah go to places Checkpoint Charlie and all these (laughs) places You read about that are part of A great part of history the Berlin Wall The height of the Cold
2: War no less
0: Absolutely. So, you have any cool
2: stories? Anything that that pops in your mind? Sorry to put you on the spot. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated, in history buff, in that that period of time. But um, you know, just to be caught up in that, and and hockey becomes more than just a game at that point, right?
0: Well, cool stories. You know, I mean, I think I remember. Generally, just, just it was like another world. I mean, when you're driving in Moscow. In a, in a bus and you look outside and, you, and people are lined up for two blocks you you naturally wonder what it was and then you find out they're lined up for the grocery store because there's only so much bread so wow. the ones that get that's there first, they're going to get the bread and you know we're we're dealing with that right now a little bit in the yep. world sense that things changed overnight and it, it, it's not as convenient right now or at least for a long time it wasn't but that's what a lot of the world especially eastern bloc countries communist countries in those days that's what natural normal life was for people so you know to get to experience that and see it when you're a young guy really really educates you in a hurry and opens your eyes
3: that's and, you know
1: and you know what sean like i, I it, what you just said it kind of makes me remember that one quote from the movie miracle where they're going over the film and he's like do these guys ever smile and i think it was uh, O'Callaghan he goes they're Russians. They get shot if they smile. Like, I feel like from looking – kind of, it's kind of like that. It's like they're not – you know, it was just like a hockey for, you know, Russia back – it was just a job. It wasn't – It was the – the, really Yeah, yeah. It was just a job. It wasn't It wasn't what we felt that was growing up, our passion, our love for the game. It was like you had to play well or or else almost, you know. It was, it was <laughs> <Or> wild. <else? laughs> and you hear all the defe- – you, you hear all the defection stories. Obviously, we all know the Mogilny's defection story and how wild that is, how Don Luce had to go over to Russia to get Mogilny, and he was given, like, two days' notice by the organization that he was going. It's like, oh, hey, you know, we're uh, – get on a plane to Russia. You're going to get this kid, Alex Mogilny, to come over here. And, uh, by the way, you're leaving tomorrow morning. Um, and, uh, by the way, you can't tell your wife. You can't tell your wife what you're doing.
3: That's it's That's like, wild. Oh, man,
1: it, it, it's, it, it's wild. It's wild. We brought up earlier about Dom, you know, coming when you played against Dom, he didn't even get over here and start playing and start. And, and he, I don't think he really began his career as a starting goalie until he was, what, 27, 28 years old, which is wild if you think about it. Like the early start, guys like Wadur and Broder got in their careers, and you have a guy like Dom who didn't even get started in the NHL until he was 20, 20 years old because of all the political, all the just how, um, you know, how political the world was back then and just how how you know crazy it was back then i don't know the right the, the right rhetoric to
0: use here but you're no, right just on. wild that you got this yeah it was just i mean it was it was different and the irony of it all was as as you kind of look back is that the perception that we all had and not just in hockey but in the world of places like russia and communist countries and, and you know of course there was there was the cold war and there was all the propaganda the irony of it all was once you got those players away from the rink or, or they started coming over, you realized they were every bit the same as we were. They weren't yeah. these machines. They weren't these robots. There was all this talk of, you know, you go into these games, and I can remember I, we didn't want to ever watch the Russians in the pregame warm-up. If you watched them in the pregame warm-up, you were scared – shitless to play them. They were just so talented and skilled. You didn't want to watch them practice. It was almost – it w- it wasn't beneficial to you. And the the looks on their face and how that, – that was our perception. And, and a lot of it was created by, you know, just media and things like that. But the reality was years later, those guys, a lot of them, became some of the best teammates and best friends I had. And listening to what they thought in those days – was was really ironic too because their perception of us was totally yeah. different. So, you know, that's that's the difference in the world now. It's much smaller. Everybody has access to – you really do have a really good idea of what other countries are like. We can travel there. You can experience those cultures. In those days, you really – it was really kind of – Closed off. Closed off and hidden from you a little bit. So um, great, great for a young guy like me that I got to witness that and, and see it. Um, and and uh, very, very, uh, very lucky to do that. So- and
1: it's, it's crazy, too, because like you said, you, you only had you had opinions or an idea of a way a culture was like how we maybe back then you or we thought that it was over in Russia and Europe and how they thought it was over here in the United States. All you really have to go off, of, like you said, is this like this this biased propaganda, this biased rhetoric towards one another's cultures. And like you said, they come over here and they're just like us, man. They're just like a bunch of kids that love to play hockey. They just love know, the game. You know, Just want to play, and that, that, that's it's, it's wild today. I mean, I guess it's not that wild if you look at the political atmosphere today in the world, and you know, you know, what but it was different, probably, between, it was different, yeah, yeah, you know, different, it, it, kind it's of different back oh, yeah, different, yeah, different type of device. Yes, absolutely.
3: Well, Alex,
0: but, um, McGillney, for example, Alex and I played together in Vancouver. Oh, wow, yep, and you know, for people who don't know Alex personally, they know him as a hockey player, what a great player he was. Alex was probably one of the more colorful guys he, he he loves cars he loves golf i mean how many russians do you know that the first thing you think about is how much they love golf alex loved golf he's a really good golfer he and and his cars and and just one of those guys that's so easy to hang out with really a fun guy and i don't even think people i mean maybe in buffalo is the one place they realize how good this guy was but he, oh, was, he was one of the more – this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. There's no, there's no, no doubt. This guy's the Next Fame.
1: question I was going to ask you.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's no hesitation on my part because I played with Alex. But also, you know, if you think about scoring in any era, the, the amount of goals this guy scored, it, you know, it's not, it, it's not hard to say that though the numbers are there. Like, he's, he's definitely Hall of Fame worthy. Of course, Stanley Cups play a role, and, and all the team success uh, seems to be lately where, where the, the, the Hall of Fame is headed. Guys are getting recognized for more than just points and, you know, personal achievement. They're getting recognized for being on winning teams and the character they had. But, but Alex, to me, he brought a competitiveness every night as um, high as anybody else and, and has the numbers to go along with it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it, Sorry, go ahead Dwayne. No, so I said it was it was magic. I mean, even I was I was like such a young kid, but it was magical watching him with Paddy LaFontaine for those couple of years, man, just the magic those two created on the ice together. Just the speed, and even back then, it Beautiful. wasn't as fast of a game. It wasn't as fast of a game because you remember two-line pass was a thing back then. Wow. It wasn't as fast of a game, you know, back then as it is today, and they would both just fly.
2: It was poetry in
1: motion. Oh, my God.
2: And that must have made life difficult as a goalie. And and leaning on that international play, I wanted to ask you, Sean, because, uh, you know, we still got your whole NHL career to get to, and we can't keep you all night. So um, <laughs> coming into that, you were joined by Andy Moog, a guy that had a tremendous amount of success. And not only that, you were coached by the legend Dave King. So, you know, going into that, uh, you know, what was that like? Because – you know, I, I, Dave King had some really interesting quotes about you. Yeah, just let me read one off here. He remembers scouting you when you were a 17-year-old rookie with the Marlboros and, and juniors, and here's this quote. He would be brilliant one night and just ordinary the next. He's really reduced that fluctuation. Sometimes after he lets a goal in, instead of losing his temper, he'll freeze, look at the right post, left post, his angle, his position, all to make sure he doesn't make the same mistake twice. And it's that consistency that, you know, it kind of explains how you were able to propel yourself not only in, into you know having success at the international level, but you know and we'll get to this in a minute, but right after that jumping right into the devils in your first taste of the national league going on that run uh, but before we get to that, what was that like playing with Andy Moog but not only that kind of taking the net from this legend because I can only imagine you being a younger guy playing with with this guy that you, you'd probably watched Andy Moog for the past couple of years, right
0: definitely and it was a it was a great um you know a, a great situation for a young guy because Andy had had his NHL success already he had, he had won uh in Edmonton how old was but he it, when you got when he was when this happened well I don't know his age but he was he was having a contract dispute in Edmonton and you know rightly so he had sat behind grant fear for so many years and was a great uh you know goalie himself and wanted an opportunity so he ended up with the national team but he couldn't have been he couldn't have been better to me. I mean, for me, uh, and I sometimes forget this when I'm asked about influences. He was a guy that treated me, but also showed me what it was to be a pro. As a young guy, when you play with somebody like that who's already been through it, you learn a lot just from watching. And uh, but Andy, he took it a step further. You know, he would he would pull me aside. He would show me things. He would he took an interest in helping me. And at the end of the day, I ended up playing the bigger games in the Olympics, I ended up playing ahead of him. But,
3: wow. of
0: course, that would have never happened if I hadn't been playing with a guy who, who would have taken that approach. Yeah, he could have fought. been a real
2: dick to you. He could have, you know, kind of yeah. give you the cold shoulder. Yeah. So props to him.
0: And, and it's never easy. i have been in that situation on the other side of it where he wanted to play of course, and it couldn't have been easy for him uh, at times. But uh, the professionalism and the respect he showed me – um, it, it helped me as I moved along in my career because I found myself in positions at times where the role was reversed. And, you know, you have to look back at how guys treated you and realize, hey, I, I've got to give back myself now. That's part, that's part of this whole cycle of playing this game.
2: And that's, it's, it's awesome. You said that because, you know, you had a, a mentor like that and and that could have really, you know, not been good to you and kind of approached it way differently, but because he was kind to you and took you under his wing and treated you with that respect, you know, you later in your career had that opportunity and, and, and you know, kind of paid it forward and, and it's amazing. You know, I, I want to ask you about the Jersey, but with that token of thought, is there anybody, you know, any younger guys that stick out to you that you play with later in your career that went on to have great careers?
0: Well, I played a lot of young – and you're goalies. Yeah, so
2: like in your latter half of your career, kind of like Moger did with you, anybody that you had a really good relationship with that, uh, you know, as they were young and you were on your way out?
0: Yeah, I had a lot of – I had a lot of, uh, you know, my, my goalie partners over the years, whether they were my backup or I was backing them up or we were – we were battling. I, I always had great relationships with my uh, my partners. I, you know, I I respected the job they had to do. Um, you know, I played with Jiguer for a little bit in Hartford. And he Jiggy, was a kid, you know, and he went on to win a Stanley Cup. Um, a lot or, of it. Uh, Smythe too, right? Absolutely. A lot of the guys I played with, you know, were were for a lot of years were backups. Jeff Reese and Jason Musardi and Robert Ash and guys like that. And they were always incredibly supportive in that role, and um, and played a big part in me being successful and the team being successful. And then I played with other guys, Hextall and Kirk McLean and Trevor Kidd, who wow. all all had times where they you know were were a number one goalie, and that dynamic was different, but yet very respectful, and we both always appreciated the job the other guy had to do. And then late in my career. Um, you know, I played with Brian Boucher in in uh, in, in Phoenix. I played, um, you know, in in L.A. At the end, I played with all kinds of guys. Fuka Fuji, the only Japanese-born player to oh. play, was was my partner for a while. So it was a colorful career that way, with a lot of colorful characters. But it it's never easy when you're when you're one of two goalies on a team. Both guys want to play. There's a competitiveness, but there also has to be a respect and um, and you owe that you owe that to your partner because you know he uh, he's going to be going through the same things you are.
2: So real quick, Dwayne, before I turn it over to Dwayne to talk about you know your are you're still in the National League, I, I I was fascinated about this because my brother uh, he was a goaltender. Uh, he's older than me. He played at Quinnipiac, but he's a he's a hockey nut, and I remember him you know kind of teaching me as the younger brother, the younger goalie about this season you had uh, because he was a younger guy. So you come in your first sniff in the national league, you're drafted by New Jersey. We talked about your international stint. So you come in, what it was the the last uh, uh, 13, 14 games left in a season. So you come in, you go on this role. What was it? I think you played 13 games. You were 10 and one uh, or 11 games. This is the 87, 88 season for our listeners. So y- you come in, you, you and this guy's his first taste of the National League, a young rookie goaltender finds a way. And hey, we've Dwayne, we've talked about it a lot. How many guys have we interviewed that their first taste of the National League was, you know, trial by fire, and then they went down, and then they came back up, and still struggled? But not this guy. This guy comes in and was a, you know, dubbed by uh, the local papers as a rookie sensation. Goes ten and one, including. I wanted to ask you about this. Your 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 last game, the overtime win against Chicago on the final night of the season that got you into playoffs. Can you tell me anything you remember about that? Do you remember that game specifically?
0: Well, I remember. Yeah, I do, and I remember the whole run, as 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 you know, I guess you'd call it. But I think again, it goes back to the long term plan when I was drafted was that I was a high pick and they weren't going to rush me in. And that whole time of developing with the national team allowed me to step into the NHL and feel pretty comfortable right away. And it wasn't, you know, my first NHL win was a seven, six overtime win in the Boston Garden. I gave up six goals and won the game. Um, hey, they
2: don't ask how they ask how many wins, buddy. Yeah.
0: And so, you know, it, I didn't, I didn't, you know, jump in and stand on my head the first night and, but I got on a roll. The team got on a roll, and we we ended up going, you know, to the, uh, the the conference final, one game from going to the Stanley Cup. And it was it was in Chicago that we ended up making the playoffs on the last day of the season in overtime, a, a goal by John McClain. And um,
2: did you uh, do you remember that overtime? Did you play well? Yeah,
0: I, I remember it. I mean, it was it was destiny to a degree. Things were going so well for us that we we just felt no matter what, we were going to win games, and um, and I and I remember the 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 elation of not only the players but the management and the coaching staff because New Jersey had never made the playoffs. They were they were sort of considered a little bit of a joke uh, in terms of not having any success. And that was Amarello that, there, uh, Lou was there. He he had taken over, um, but Max McNabb was still around too. Okay, so the excitement of watching Max, who had been with that organization, hadn't had any success. Uh, that that's what I remember. I remember how great it was for the whole organization to finally get that monkey off your back and and, and make the playoffs.
2: It must've been a blur kind of just riding that momentum. Like you said, right. And it, it and I didn't mean to single you out. Cause I know what, you know, you're a team guy and that is a team effort, right? Like it doesn't happen with stellar play from one position as much as goaltending kind of can be viewed like that. So you get in, you, you ride this momentum, right? Yeah. And, and that's your first taste of the NHL and you're kind of thrust the playoffs. You get that OT one against Chicago to get in and then you beat the Islanders, which they were a wagon that year, right? They were really, you know, predicted to go far, if not win at all, you win then. You, you go on to Washington, you beat them, and then you guys make it all the way to the conference finals. You lose to the Bruins in seven. Um, anything that sticks out like, that you haven't mentioned from that run? Because, uh, you know, for our listeners, here's a rookie NHL goaltender, and some guys play their whole careers without making it to, to the playoffs or this far in playoffs, and here you are. You got, um, what is it, four, eight, 11 playoff wins. So you, you had more playoff wins before – but more – uh, but you know, over regular season wins, I, that's got to be a record right there, fellas.
0: Well, I, I remember again just the team, the guys. You know, a lot of them are still around. Was Shanahan in the, you know, there. Shanahan was there. Kirk wow. Muller was there. Johnny McLean. You know, Scott Kent, Stevens. Scott Stevens was not there. He didn't come till I never. <clears throat> excuse me. I never played with Scotty in Jersey. I was I was gone before um, he showed up. Excuse me here just for a second. You're good, buddy. But um, you know, you remember you remember the players. You guys mentioned Jack O'Callaghan. Jack O'Callaghan was there. What? Um, yep. Yeah, was OC was there. That team. Yeah, we OC's had uh, playing, baby. Yeah, Jack O'Callaghan <laughs> was part of that team. So you know, that's what you remember. You remember uh, Pat Verbeek and, and, and the young guys we had and getting some success is contagious. You know, you don't want to let it go because especially for those guys, they had had so little success that it was almost like, oh, boy, you know, we don't, we don't want to go back to being like that. And it just carried us right through the playoffs.
1: Right, that's, 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 like, that's unbelievable, man. Um, now, like I said, Cully kind of teed me up here to get in kind of your NHL career. But I do want to touch on again for a second on your international play. Olympics, world, man! Not many guys have such a medal medal collection like you do, Berkey. Like you have, from I'm looking here, two world championship gold medals, a silver at the world junior championships, another silver for for uh, Olympic games, uh, two silvers for world champions, and you played in that Canada Cup and won gold with them. Wow! Like they got the guy. The guy's got quite the medal case. Do you
2: still have have them,
1: Berkey?
0: Oh, yeah, I have them. I, I. Well I've been lucky too because I'll take one off your hands if you don't want to just kidding. Yeah, right My little guy my my young guy likes medals so he'll he'll want to, he'll want to wear them around or take them to school one day but I I've been real fortunate that I played as much international as I did and I played in a in an era where you know the national team was such a great experience but it it allowed me to play with the greatest players I I you know I played in in ninety one, as you say, I didn't play in the, the Canada I was on the team. Billy Ranford, you know, he took the ball and ran with it and was, was great not, in that Not tournament. a bad goalie there, eh? Yeah. And I and you know, I I think Eddie Belfour and I were we we were the uh, we were the other two goaltenders. But you know, that team had Wayne Gretzky on it and Mark Messier and everything. All coffee. All coffee and I played with co so you know, I think wow. as you get as you get older and you look back, um you know you remember maybe games here and there but mostly you remember playing with certain guys and the and the great opportunities you had and uh yeah for me it was um it was all it was all a great experience and then very very few bad days i had playing uh either in the nhl or internationally really quick, yeah, quick before it, you go
2: to the nhl i just what was that locker room like man wayne gretzky uh, Larmer Messier, Coffee McGinnis, Lindros, Power Truck, Theo Fleury, uh, Luke Robotype, Brennan Shanahan, Rick Tockett, Scott Stevens, Larry Murphy, Bill Ritt. Like, come on, man! Like, that's not that's that's incredible. Well, that that, for them like, brother,
0: yeah. Well, it's pretty quiet because there's been there, there's a lot of leaders in there, but only, only one or two guys can speak at the same time, so it's usually pretty quiet, but. Those are experiences that are, are challenges for you that, um, you know, raise the level of your play. But also when you're around so many great players, you get the opportunity to take little things from each guy. You get to watch how each player handles themselves. And for me, that, that was always the great benefit of playing on those type of teams was the, the opportunity to, to see the way other guys do it and how some of the best players in the league prepare and what, their, what goes into their game. And um and that's all the learning that you get to do when you're when you last and you play a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh one one, one last note on your international play, the ninety, you know, the, the ninety one ninety two Olympic team, uh, you know, seven games played, you had a good stint that you were Canada, but one number that stuck out to me was fourteen penalty minutes. What happened there? It's
0: goon. <laughs> They were probably – there was there was still a two-minute penalty those days for firing the puck over the glass. I break. hate that rule. So that was probably where I got them. Seven times I fired the puck over the glass. No, no fighting major, <laughs> no rough things. No. Uh, we got Burke here. He's getting into the business. He throws a punch. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. But, you know, like I said, getting into your NHL career, you played on a lot of, uh, you know, fun teams. Um, obviously, um, you know – that that run you had with New Jersey in the beginning, uh, you know, as a rookie, was memorable for you, I'm sure. But you know, coming into Hartford, you know, uh, your first your first full season Hartford, you play 50 games. You know, looking down at the numbers, you were a guy who usually, as a starter, played a bulk of the games back then. Um, you know, what was it like playing for the Whalers? You know, how how was hockey in Hartford while while it would, was there? Um, and you know, playing for that. You know, pretty much. You know, I don't think you played for the inaugural Hartford team, but you you were there at the end of it. What was it like? What was hockey in Hartford like? And you know, um, I wouldn't say why did it come to an end, but do you uh, do you think that um, hockey could ever come back to a place like Hartford again?
0: Well, generally, Hartford was a real enjoyable place to play. It 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 had a it had a really nice feel to it as far as living there and the community and, and it was the only game really in town I mean college basketball Yukon is huge there but the only real top professional team was was the Whalers and so people were very respectful and um, you could go to dinner and, and everywhere in the town and people would recognize the players but they really appreciated the team and uh, that's the way I always felt in Hartford that you, you were playing you were playing for the fans it was a small community there was a lot of pride. You can still see it till this day. It's almost a cultish type of uh, of following with the Hartford Whalers. Mm-hmm. If you're a Hartford Whaler fan, you're a diehard. So I was always treated extremely well there. Um, it was very it was very surreal the last game, knowing that the team was moving. There was there was a, a, a eerie feeling in the building. We were playing Tampa that night, and uh, and when the game was over, there was a salute to the crowd and driving home. It really hits you that you know you're not going back to that rink again. The team's not going to ever play here again. So it was a very strange time. Um, I don't know if Hartford ever gets an opportunity to get a team again. I know that uh, there's the passion there. Economics of being what they are in the NHL make it difficult to be in a small market. But um, mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a great experience for me, and uh, and 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 I still have friends, good friends that I had when I when I was playing in Hartford. And, and
1: that's why it segues into my next week because, you know, we're a small market here in Buffalo, too, and we make it work. We're a diehard fan base. You don't have, you don't have to look far down the viewership charts come playoffs. You know, Buffalo the last decade hasn't been involved in the playoffs, but, you know, you look at viewership where, you know, where most fans are watching, Buffalo's right there at the top. And I'm not saying I always compared Hartford to Buffalo, but like you said, there's a cult following. It, always seemed, it seems like I, I feel that hockey could work there again. And, um, I'm not saying Carolina is a bad market. Obviously they're making it work right now, but it was always kind of discouraging being a hockey fan back then. And just, you know, see, seeing a team move from a place like Hartford to Carolina down, down, down South. And, you know, seeing that kind of ripped away from that fan base because I personally, I, I love the jerseys. I love the colors. Like I loved everything about, about the Whalers back then. So it was always discouraging to see that a team, a team like them uh, being forced away from that fan base because, it did seem like they, they had the support there, at least from, from the fans in the city.
0: Well, yeah. And, again, I think economics changed. Yeah. You needed corporations. You needed to be able to, you know, fill buildings with sky suites. And um, and it just it didn't have that sort of a population. It didn't have that sort of an economy in, that, in those days. But Carolina, it, to their credit, it, it, it didn't start out great as far as a team played in Greensboro for two years. Uh, there wasn't great crowds. The team then ended up going up to Raleigh. And, you know, if, if you really look at it, they, they've they won the Stanley Cup. They've had competitive teams now. They've really turned it around there. So you you have to give them credit. Um, and, you know, there's probably some satisfaction for Hartford Weller fans that Carolina went on and had some success. They they can still relate to it. But uh, I'm sure it also hurts – and I know it does to lose your team, especially when uh, there were so many kids that were growing up hockey fans there. Uh, I still get lots of cards, uh, fan mail from people that want, you know, Hartford Whaler cards signed and those kind of things. And uh, cool. and it was a good experience. But um, unfortunately, like like a lot of things, the economics just changed it.
1: Yeah, and that's an important we, – we've had experiences like that here in Buffalo. There was, there was a time – uh, you know, back in the early 2000s, where we thought we were going to lose our team when the, you know, the the scandal with the Regis family happened here, and then Tom Galasano luckily came in and bought the team. You know, we for colleague, for, I, I think that the NHL owned the Sabers at one point. I think yeah, they they technically I mean, owned was, the uh, team. Yeah.
2: was say Galasano, but uh, it was in that that Delphi takeover, right?
1: Yep. 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 Um, Delphia, yeah, the Delphi scandal. Was, it was
2: and- a short period, but. And, and like like you said, rookie, and, and like you said, Dwayne, it was that was a scary time for the Sabres fans because we're so passionate here. Uh, the the fear of losing the team it would have changed the whole city.
1: Yeah, it would have, man. Losing losing, and you know if we if we would have lost the Sabres, man, that would have been such a, a blow to the city—not just the like, the economy, but just the passion because we're a hockey town. Like obviously, you know, we don't have to look far to find find something Bill's mafia related in Buffalo, but this when the team, not even just when the team is good, you see the passion, I mean, when the team is bad, you see the, you saw the passion in me six months ago, like the passion's there, it's dormant right now, but it's there, and, you know, when this team is good, and I said it, you know, I don't know how many times, the walls in that arena can shake, like, you can make them shake, you don't, you turn a corner, you don't, you know, back then it was black and red, Today it will be blue and gold. We're going back well, to the royal sure blue next he year. You experienced it in the odd, I'm sure, as
2: a visiting goal. Oh yeah, and that's
1: the exciting segue. And like, you, you, you got the opportunity to see uh, to play games in the old odd, and you were part of that lineup that played the last game in the odd. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember much about that last game. Um, you know, because it was so you know as long ago as it was. I think it was ninety five, ninety six. Uh, yeah, ninety five, ninety six. Well, what what memories do you have of playing in the old odd? Because I mean, I remember from like my dad the story the the, the, the seats were so steep up like like you were almost afraid to stand as a fan because you were like almost looking down like almost looking down a, the you know the the incline the decline of a mountain because it was just so steep up uh, especially when they raised the roof after their second year in that arena
0: well I, yeah i remember buffalo was all, always the odd was a tough building to play in. you know the the dimensions were different um the fans, you know, you have passionate fans in Buffalo. They're, they're, uh, there's no doubt who they're cheering for when the puck drops. And uh, and you had some great teams. I mean, uh, you know, I think we'd be very remiss to not mention Dale Howardchuck right now and what he's going through. Oh, and, yeah. Um, you know, God I I've always had a lot of respect for Dale. I know Dale. I, I got to play with Dale in the World Championships and uh, what a great player he was and a great person. And uh, he's going through... As we all know, a lot of tough times right now. So thinking about him, but Buffalo had great teams. They had very, you know, with, with Andrew Chuck and obviously LaFontaine and we talked on the Gilney. When you came into Buffalo as an opposing goaltender into that odd, you knew you were in for a night. The, the, the bounces off the boards, the, just the, 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 the glass, everything about that building was was beneficial to the home team? Do you remember like, the Yaboni door?
2: They used. I've heard stories. They I used to
0: remember. have the guy the kick it out. Of course, he'd stand back there and kick the puck when it would come around the boards. And wait, uh,
2: you ever heard that story?
0: Oh yeah. And I and I remember uh, I remember the the gentleman that would dance up in the stands. That uh, I can't remember the little, little <laughs> old uh, little old guy that had the great Pee Wee Herman dance. He'd be, <laughs> That's was, awesome. It was an event, and um, and credit, but I but I will tell you this: I wasn't sad when the building was was being uh, tore down, and we were getting a new one. That's for sure. Love it, love it. Hey,
2: really yeah. quick, I was just uh, you know searching. You had some incredible gear. We talk about it all the time. So, really quick, Berkey, I won't get into it now, but, um, you know, later on in the summer here, we're going to be, you know, bringing on all of our our NHL guests for, you know, about five, ten minutes each to talk about their, their gear wear. Uh, would love to have you back on for then because you had some awesome style. Look good, feel good, play good. You took that to a whole other level. You're, 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 you're set for Hartford. Me and Dwayne were talking about it off the air. Immaculate. Oh, my goodness. Takes me six to midnight. Sexy. What Sexy. a set of pads. Also, your set for the Coyotes was incredible. So can we get you to, you know, come back on when we do that in a couple months?
0: Absolutely, guys. I'm uh, awesome. I'm not, a, and I was never a gearhead. I was never a guy that spent a lot of time um, messing with my gear. I was lucky. I, I was with Brian's for most of my career. I had a great relationship with the company and, and the um, the staff was good friends of mine. And those guys worked so hard there to come up with ideas for me and would send me some pictures and say, what do you think of this? And a lot of the time, any of that stuff, the whale tail and all those different things that I ended up wearing came right from the factory with with the ideas that they had back in the shop there. So, um, yeah, they did a great job for me. I always felt like when I stepped on the ice, my equipment reflected my personality a little bit, whether it was in my masks or anything else, but I, I can't even take credit for some of that because, uh, there was, there was guys working hard behind the scenes to come up with those ideas.
2: Love it.
1: Love it. Uh, and real quick, uh, colleague, just he, you know, he'd bring up Dale Howard Chuck. We do know his uh, cancer did return uh, over the last couple of days. And uh, I know his son tweeted out, you know, you know, a very heartfelt, uh, I think it was a tweet or if it was a statement, something very heartfelt about his father. So let's get a couple of clicks for Dale Howard Chuck and Howard Chuck Strong. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, he's a he's a buffalo alumni i know the jets are out there showing the support so we just want to know here at two like mike he has our support too you know our thoughts our thoughts are with him and his family um I you know got, uh, I absolutely really
3: quick
2: sorry i played against he he coached in the ohl for barry you know in my last year and i've heard nothing but awesome things about the guy obviously we grew up watching him Dwayne. so i had a tremendous amount of respect for him but i remember uh And I'm sure that you played against the Berkey. Bob Boogner was my coach in Windsor. He would tell me stories. I remember Windsor-Berry was, guys, the most heated rivalry at the time. Um, And still, when we would go there, Boogie made this rule. There's no friends on the day of the game, no talking to their team. He would always make a point to go over and talk to Dale. And he would come back, and I would pick his brain because I'm a Sabres kid. And he would tell me such good things about him. Tremendous amount of respect for that guy. What a warrior. And like you said, Dwayne, I couldn't have said it better myself. Our thoughts and prayers are with him from two goalies, one Mike. Uh, we hope he beats this. He's beat it once before. We know he can do it again. Our thoughts are with you, brother.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, just fast forward, obviously, a little bit uh, through your career because, you we know, want I keep you here all night. But uh, you also played for another, you know, inaugural uh, team. Uh, it was uh, the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, and, again, another setup you know, I set up the of yours that I love. I love the jerseys, as I mentioned before. You know, what was it like playing hockey in Phoenix? And then we'll touch on obviously the best season I think probably of your career was with them when you posted a nine twenty save percentage, uh played sixty games and, you know, had thirty three win uh, thirty three wins, thirty three and twenty one. You know, what was it like playing hockey and hockey playing hockey for in Arizona for the first time, you know, in it's survived up until now. I know they've had their issues uh, trying to keep sustained success there. Um, you know, what was it like playing there in the beginning and can you see hockey surviving there long-term?
0: Well, yeah, I can. It, it's, it's always going to be a challenge. Um, you know, Phoenix is home for me. It's been home for me for over 20 years now. And, uh, and, I, and I was fortunate. I got there at a time when my game wasn't very good and I was struggling but I got with the right goalie coach. Benoit lair was in Arizona at the time. And uh,
2: legend. the Alaire brothers a legend.
0: Yeah. And, and Benny, Benny was, was for me, we talked about Dave King, you know, before I ever got to the NHL, well, Benoit lair for me was that guy during your career that you get at the right time that helps turn things around and, and really is, is responsible for me being able to play another 10 years in the league. And, uh, and have some, some pretty good success. So uh, I have nothing but great um, sort of feelings about my time in Arizona as a player. I worked in the organization for seven years as well after, and, uh, and I live there and, uh, you know, see myself always being, uh, being in Arizona or always calling it home.
1: And, and you know what, and in a lot of respects, hockey has worked in Arizona in, in, in different ways, because if it wasn't for the coyotes we wouldn't have austin matthews who is a uh, a superstar right now in the nhl and that's a fact Cully. like yeah. that, that that's a that's a known fact if it was not for the for He's you know them yeah yeah he wouldn't you know he wouldn't be in the nhl right now he wouldn't have fallen in love with the game
0: yeah austin's a good example i mean he was um he was a kid that uh, like my son and and some some other kids that grew up in arizona hockey mm-hmm. hockey came a long way it developed uh, A lot to do with the Coyotes and um, much like Hartford uh, I'm sure that when the Hartford Whalers left there was a lot less kids playing hockey eventually you know there's not there's not that home team to look up to and get excited about so Arizona and Phoenix uh, you know before it was the Phoenix Coyotes now the Arizona Coyotes but they've done a great job with grassroots hockey there and it's it's still got a ways to go Um, but my, my own son's a good example he ended up Getting drafted in the NHL, he ended up playing, you know, he was in four NHL training camps, went to the CIS after that, got a degree for himself, a business degree, and now he's working back in hockey. So his experience of growing up in Arizona was great, and it was great for his hockey as well. And, um, and that's, that's the beauty of the teams in the southern markets and non-traditional markets is it grows the game for, for uh, not only the NHL, but it grows it for kids who want to play hockey. That's unreal. absolutely
2: really quick. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to make this known. You are a part of an elite club, the 300 win club, club in the NHL. Um, only 36 souls on the planet can can claim, uh, you know, admittance to this club. I just think that deserves a couple clicks right there. You know, what a, what a career you had. Sean, it's been a blast having you on, man. I, I can't wait to have you back on for the gear episode. But really quick, was that Hudson we saw making
0: a brief appearance? That was Hudson, and I actually would like my wife to pop over for one second. Yeah, please. You okay. You've got to see what she's wearing here, and don't get all excited, guys. <laughs> 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 just, just one second, pop over here. This, she's just going to take a quick, just a quick, uh, come here, come here, it, Christy. She's going to pop in real quick and pop right out of the screen. But yeah, well, you can right see what here. she's actually got on right now. I
1: can't even get up there. Oh, I, I love it. it. Hartford I love Whalers. It. I love it. That is Christy, the first, we that, is love the first it. that is that is the first special guest wife appearance we've had on two goalies with a Mike.
0: Yeah, she's sitting in the other room with Hudson doing some work, but um it's funny. I just happened to notice when I saw her go by that she was wearing her Hartford Wellers t-shirt. So we That's love awesome. it.
2: For all of our listeners at home, Christy, obviously an awesome goalie wife here. She's rocking the throwback Hartford Whalers t-shirt. A uh, classic look. We love it. We love it, Bergie. That's incredible, man.
0: Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we're we're kind of at that stage now too in our house where we've got Hudson, who's going to probably go through the whole minor hockey thing at some point himself. So, I've been lucky uh, to be able to do it with my oldest son and my stepson. Uh, um, played some hockey for a while. He's now playing basketball and and uh, but Hudson hasn't shown the interest yet, and I'm not pushing it on them, but uh, but I think I've got some minor hockey arena days ahead of me down the road again.
2: Can't wait. Um, I'm in the same boat with my daughters, trying not to push it, so I, I got them the mini sticks, Berkey, and I never ask them to play. So whenever they sticks, bring it man, up, you play, it. and it's music to my ears, man. I, oh, let's go, girls. So I, I think my, my daughter Reese, uh, the younger one, she's going to be a little scrappy left winger. And I'm pretty sure Hadley's going to be a stay-at-home defenseman. She's got the patience. And, uh, no, it's fun. It's – you know what? Uh, And and I'm happy you said that because we've all dealt with crazy hockey parents and it's refreshing to hear. And you know what? Anybody that's played hockey long enough and you ask them about it, and they always say, I'm not going to force my kids to play. You know what I mean? So you realize then it's it's people that know the game, they're going to let the game come to their kids, right? And, and that's the way it should be across the board. But for, for those, uh, you know, listening, obviously you can't see, but Hudson popped in. The kid's a stud, Berkey. We love it. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's, the I, uh... He's, uh, he's got his own, you know, he, he's got not only his own personality at this age, as, as you know, kids do when they get to be five, but he's uh, he's quite the character. And uh, to be honest, he, he he's playing like baseball is his game right now. If I was going to pick a sport for him, I – I take him to the schoolyard, he hits some balls, he's got a pretty good little swing on him. So I'm Why? not gonna discourage him from playing hockey, but I know one thing, he's uh he's prettier than dad, and you can keep your face out when you're playing baseball a lot better than you can <laughs> play in hockey. No, for not, sure. not not if
1: you're a Houston, maybe not this year if you're a Houston
0: Astro. Yeah, good point.
2: <laughs> no, hey Berkey, we really appreciate uh, having that, man. That, that's incredible. And I have a uh, – go ahead, I,
1: I have, I, I do have two more questions to ask Burke. If you give me a moment, uh, uh, one, one thing too is you were the GM of Team Canada for the the uh, the, the 2018 Olympics and uh, I, pronounce, how I pronounce it
0: uh, in China.
1: Yeah, um, Pion what Pion was
0: that? actually Pyeongchang, yeah. South Korea. Pyeongchang,
1: yes. Oh, South Korea. Sorry, I apologize. Yes. Um, what was you know what was that like taking like I mean, that must have been a huge honor because you had so much experience at the international level playing for Team Canada. Now you hear you are being asked to be the general manager of Team Canada in a year, in a, in a time where you, professional players aren't allowed to play. So what, it was almost like, you know, back in the days of the Miracle on Ice where you're, you're looking for the non-professional or former professional uh, hockey players to come play for the Olympic, you know, to represent Team Canada. So what was that like? And, how, you know, how, how did you go about assembling the team that you did And how difficult was that? Because obviously you couldn't pick from the cream of the crop, the National Hockey League level.
0: Well, yeah, it was a huge honor. And um, I had played in two Olympics. And then obviously it came full circle many years later. I had had the opportunity to be the general manager. It it was a difficult process, as you can imagine. You know, again, you don't do it on your own. I had a great staff with me. I had lots of people that spent lots of time watching games. I, I had Dave King back with me. Um, oh, I was man. his boss, which was, which was great to be able to be his boss for a change. And, uh, <laughs> funny how things do come around, but it, it, it was a process that required a lot of time. It required a lot of travel. I was on the road 23, 24 days a month where I was in Europe and scouting games and try. And I was working with Montreal at the same time. So I had very little time that I wasn't watching hockey, but I wanted to give every player who was eligible a fair opportunity to make the team and in order to do that, we had to work extremely hard to scout them and watch them and do our, our homework and it was very gratifying. We, we didn't end up winning gold, we, we won a bronze medal, which in Canada is, is never the goal, but in fairness to that team, they played their best hockey at the Olympics. They, they played great. We beat the Swiss we, in game one, we beat the Czechs. We ended up beating Finland in the crossover game, and then we had a tough period against Germany that it ended up costing us. But the teams were incredibly even, and so every game was a battle. Anybody could have beat anybody, and uh, my memories are nothing but fond of of that team and how they performed.
2: Well, you know what? I was I, I remember tuning in, and it was incredible to watch because you, you look at it, and Russia had all their studs, right? Uh, well, tattoo Kovalchuk. But they had like a lot of guys days. that were back in
0: the old days, really.
2: Right. And um, that German team, man, they were, you could tell that they've been playing together because they were, and they were used to that big ice because they utilize it so well. And, and Berkey, watching them in the, in the offensive zone go low to high and utilizing that space, it was incredible to watch. What a piece of, you know, what a team they put together. But I wanted to mention, um, I had played against a few of your guys, Christian Thomas, Eric O'Dell. They had both uh, probably had about 15 career goals on me apiece, um, but they're,
0: they're good. Everybody's got 15 career goals on Hey, come on, Dwayne, get it. out
1: of here, man.
2: Um,
0: crowded bus. It's a crowded bus there, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: for sure, that, that's for sure. Uh, but I remember one of my favorite memories, and Dwayne's going to give it to me for this, Berkey, but Christian here Thomas, you know he has great hands, right? Really talented player. My first game back from injury, uh, my overage year, we were playing the Oshawa Generals at home. My parents were there and uh, went to a shootout. Christian Thomas was notorious for being a shootout specialist. And he came down and uh, my, my teammates joked because I screamed afterwards, but it was the poke check heard around the world. Where I just gave it everything I had, it was all or nothing. I got just enough of it, and we won. And my mom got a picture, and I'm absolutely going nuts. My helmet's off. It, you would have thought I just won the Stanley Cup, not the first game of the regular season. But that's uh, that's a highlight <laughs> of mine. Uh, but you know what? It was it was fun to see you guys, you know, go out there and compete and, and do so well. And obviously, like you said. Uh, Canada's only satisfied with gold but to get a bronze there is something that add that medal to to your list of seven that you got playing but um an incredible feat for you guys and and I know that uh that was you know tremendous job by you getting getting them there and and just making it into that medal round because you know the North American teams you know obviously were you know a step behind as far as rosters goes because a lot of the best you know, European players, they have that base to, to go from there. Um, so great job to you there. But I want to ask you really quick, uh, last question for me, uh, you know, with your current situation, obviously the pandemic's throwing everything into array. you might not be too busy with it right now, but what's it been like scouting for the, the Canadians? Obviously the the, the organization with the, the most rich history and tradition here in, in the game, uh, what's it been like being involved there?
0: Well, it was a great uh... – you know, it, it's been a great experience for me for the reasons you said, but also it allowed me to do all the things I've done the last few years with, with Team Canada, which, you know, included a lot of other things other than the Olympics. I was part of a world junior team a few years back that won. I was, I was part of a management group at a couple world championships. Uh, I've been able to manage the Spengler Cup for the last four years uh, as well. So in order to stay connected to the NHL, I needed to be working – uh, for a team, and, and the great thing about Montreal is it, it's a storied franchise. But they were very open to the idea of allowing me to, you know, not only work for them but also to be able to do all the other stuff. So the combination's been great. It's given me a, a ton of experience in managing, and also uh, scouting is something that um, is under is underappreciated at times. It's it's, it's hard to go to rinks and and project and do those kind of things it takes a lot of work and a lot of preparation but uh i i enjoy it and uh, again it's been something that's been good on my resume too
1: awesome uh my last point here for before we let you go is obviously with the you know we, we're watching like the exhibition game right now um you know everyone's kind of knocking the rust off a little bit right now I, I I personally thought like goalies would probably have the toughest time because it's extremely difficult to simulate that game gameplay in practice leading up to this um, any anyone who uh, is a you know likes to bet bet money on the over I'd almost take the over on a lot of these games because you might see some soft goals go in just just account you know account at the rust but with that all being said um Montreal is in a uh, you know in a in a situation here where you know you know obviously the, the the goal here is to win the Stanley Cup, but they're also in a situation where if they don't you know if 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 uh, you you don't win and you don't advance uh, in in this playing round, that you possibly could have the best odds at winning that old first overall pick, uh, an opportunity to like you know draft a year or a buy a field of Stutzel. Um, you know what's your you know as a you know as a scout you know. What's your opinion of this, uh, this draft class that we have incoming here? You know, I think Lafreniere, I know, I, you know I'm in kind of in touch with hockey Twitter a lot, uh, you know, with him being French-Canadian. I'd almost think that, like, you know, not that you want to lose, you know, an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. Nobody would say that. But, you know, fans would almost go nuts over drafting a kid like him, a hometown kid. So just your opinion on this draft class. Um, I personally like Byfield myself. I'm a big Byfield guy for Byfield. You know, what's your opinion, as a, you know, you know, as a, as a professional looking at this incoming draft class uh, uh, for this year?
0: Well, to to be honest, I don't spend very much time um, watching amateur. I, you I'm, a pro scout? I'm a pro scout from Montreal. Um, okay. Now, of course, from my own uh, personal, you know, knowledge, I like to keep up on on if you know if I have a chance to watch any of those games with the top players. I do. I you know I know the names. I know uh things about players but you know to your point um it's you know that's an interesting situation because you know for the Montreal Canadiens you obviously could never tell players it doesn't matter to the players if Montreal gets the first pick overall they're they're yep. competitive they want to win when they step on the ice yep. every every guy is going to go out there with one thing in mind as an organization big picture of course you'd love to have a chance to get the first overall pick but you're never going to go into a, a, a series like this or into the playoffs, or whatever you play ins whatever you want to call it, and think about anything other than winning hockey. Winning. That's, that's the nature. That's what makes our game, I think, um, you know, it's a great game to begin with. But competitive uh, juices, the minute the puck drops, uh, you can't take those away from guys. So those things will play out. I, 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 we're in tough. Pittsburgh's a great team. Mm-hmm. Um Montreal we, We're healthy We've got We've got some really good pieces there uh, So those guys Are going to go out With, with nothing in, in mind Other than trying to Upset Pittsburgh But from an organizational standpoint If that doesn't happen And you have a chance to draft And, and you happen to win uh, The draft uh, lottery here And get the first overall pick That can set your organization up For a number of years So there's There's obviously benefit to that But uh uh, as an ex-player um, and now a guy that's been out of the game for a long time, I see both sides of it. But there's no way you're ever going to walk into an arena with a hockey team where guys aren't going to give 100%. to oh, no Try to win that hockey game. Last oh, question yeah.
1: for
2: me. Sorry, go ahead, Dwayne.
1: No, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, the, the the end, the the goal. is like you step on the ice is to win. I just thought it was very interesting where it's not. I'm not saying it's a win-win for Montreal because like you want to win the Stanley Cup. Like, that's your goal. You want to raise the cup. And you, like, especially, you know, especially with, like, how um, unprecedented these times are that we're in right now where, you know, you could have a goalie go on a heater in these short series and, you know, win you a couple games. Or, you know, maybe a player, you know, a player on on your roster go on a heater. But um, it's just, like, interesting to me because, like, you know, you could lose and then all of a sudden you're drafting first overall and you have an opportunity at one of these studs. It's just you know it's it's interesting to get a, you know a, a, an opinion of a guy on the inside and what they think.
0: Yeah, let let's be honest. If 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 our team if Montreal wins the first round, and then loses the next round, you've great you won a round and for the players they've accomplished something that most people probably aren't thinking they're going to do right now. But then you've taken away your opportunity to draft the first overall pick from an organizational standpoint. So. Was was that really worth the, the satisfaction of winning one round? Probably not in terms of an organization, but that's the beauty of our game. You are not in control of that. And the players, when they step on the ice, are thinking of only one thing. So there's no way to control that. There's never going to be a way um, to to sort of predict that. But um, it is interesting, and uh, you know it'll play out the way it's supposed to play out, and and mm-hmm. and our players will give hundred percent against Pittsburgh, and if if we're worthy of winning the series, we will. If we're not, then uh, then we'll be we'll be looking at uh, trying to hopefully win the draft lottery. So
2: I have one quick question. Uh, well, two. part one A, part one B. Uh, Andrew Sturtz, he's a Buffalo guy. I got to coach him back in the day. Uh, he's now with your AHL club. Do uh, you, you know Andrew? Have you got the chance to watch him at, at all?
0: A little bit. I went down to Laval quite a bit this year. Um, he wasn't playing a couple of times when I was down there, so I didn't see a lot of him. Um, but uh, I give a lot of credit to those guys, our American League players, our coaches down there. It's, um, as you can imagine, it's every bit as competitive as the NHL, and every guy down there has the dream of, uh, of putting on the big club's jersey.
2: Ultra competitive. It is a hey, real quick. Is Hayden Verbeek Pat's uh, son or a relative?
0: He, yeah, uh, he's a relative. He's not the son. He's the, um, I believe he's Pat's nephew.
2: All right. And then last, last question for me. Thank you so much for your time. Michael McNevin. What's he like? Is he have the, does he have the uh, does he have a highest ceiling of being able to get to the show? And I know it's hard to predict, but uh, you know, I've heard good things and uh, you know, he's obviously a very talented goaltender. What's uh, what, what are your thoughts on
0: his? Michael's come a long way. He, um, he was a guy that I think up until this year was sort of floating around. Nobody was sure what, what the next level was for him, if he was going to take another step in his development. And this year, he started the year out in the East Coast League. He, uh, he went down there with a great attitude. He played extremely well. Circumstances ended up, he's up in, you know, in the AHL. He played well up there. Then he's with the big club through this um, training camp. And, you know, Michael's a perfect example of a kid that's just showing some perseverance. He's got himself in better shape. It was always a question of whether his conditioning was going to be high enough. And, uh, and, and I give him a lot of credit. He's, he's made another step for himself. Where he goes from here, hard to know. It's, um, it's never a But uh, he's, he's definitely put himself back in the discussion. And uh, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you, you really have to control what what's within your means, and he's, yep. he's been a kid that's done that.
2: Yeah, he, uh, you know, he bounced back, like you said. Had some great numbers with the Adirondack Thunder and Jacksonville and Laval, and like you said, it's it's not always easy as a goaltender. You get bounced down to the East Coast league, uh, Dwayne. I forget. I think it was Olaf Kolzig who who had yep. talked to us about you know, how tough it was going back and forth. And, you know, it takes that perseverance and that consistency. So props to Michael, he had gotten into the OHL and, and it went down right after I had left. So I was still, you know, calling games for TV Kojuko there. And I got to, uh you know, commentate a few of his stuff and, you know, had some success in the OHL, but, you know, props to him. And obviously he's fighting an uphill battle, trying to, you know, replace Carry Price. And, and it's got to be fun to, to be a pro scout in that organization, Berkey, because, you know, he is a generational talent, Price is, and uh, fun to watch as a, as a goalie coach. And I'm sure your son does this as well, but I use Kerry in a lot of examples. The way he's able to get his power push leg that close to his body, his hip mobility, his hip flexibility, and just how calm he is. There is no wasted movements to carry Price's game. He is immaculate to watch, but, um, hey, Berkey, this has been one of my favorite interviews, man. What a blast. It's been, you are a true, so beauty, a true ambassador of the game and the position. This has been so much fun for me. And I I'm sure for Dwayne too. I can't wait to have you back on for our, our gear, uh, our gear episode. That'll be so much fun as well. So thank you so much on behalf of all of our listeners, man. It's been a blast. You are a true beauty, my friend.
0: Thanks guys. It's been fun. And, uh, I guess you guys are gonna looking at those jerseys, be trying to get Hasick and Roy on there. I was probably the third choice, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> and,
3: uh, I'll, uh, honestly,
1: honestly, the wall jersey is uh, my co-host's jersey over there because we used to do the show out of my house until obviously COVID. But uh, honestly, hey, you're right. Hey, I
3: left,
2: I left the uh, the Burke jersey at home. It was uh, I had to put it in the wall. <laughs> Sorry, buddy.
1: No, no, no. no. Listen, enjoy- listen. I, 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 do, I do miss both those jerseys, man, the, the, the hobby balloon and the Burke. I mean, I, like, like I said, I was a big fan of yours growing up. I love I the, the, the Phoenix jerseys. Uh, you know, I never had a Hartford jersey, but you know what? If I do get a Hartford jersey, I already know who I'm
0: getting. So, <laughs> love so, it. So. It was fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Good luck with all the talk equipment down the road. Can't wait. Absolutely. Hey,
2: good luck to Hudson. Tell uh, Christine Hudson it was a pleasure to have him on the show briefly, man.
1: Okay, take care, guys. Hall of Fame name there. Hall of Fame name. See you, man.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Mitts Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitts is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektawaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old, the golden era of what a barbershop meant, not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, Come on down to Mitt's to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitt's Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Chicktawaga, It is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424. And their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitt's is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show. And we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to two goalies, one Mike. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks... Are developed to handle less than perfect services enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway basement or schoolyard honing their skills whenever and wherever possible it comes in two different styles the better biscuit sniper helps players develop forehand backhand one touch saucer drop passing and shooting ideal for perfecting those toe drags puck control and stick handling the other option is the better biscuit passer the passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show
3: do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports marianne Iveson from Iverson voice and the let's take this outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land